This is episode number 407 with Joshua Fields Milburn. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We have the minimalist Joshua Fields Milburn on today. Super pumped. Now, for those that feel like you are overwhelmed with too much stuff in your house, too many things, too many possessions, this is the episode for you to learn more about why less is more. Now, Joshua Fields Milburn is a writer and a minimalist. He's the co-founder of the popular blog and podcast that gets millions of downloads and followers on the blog called The Minimalists, as well as the author of several books on the same topic. And he owns fewer than 288 things, people. That's right. Only 288 possessions total. After losing his mom to lung cancer and his marriage ending in the same month, he found minimalism as a lifestyle and quit his corporate job to become a writer. He has conducted several lifestyle experiments since his switch to minimalism, like living without internet at his home, living without a phone for two months, living a year without purchasing material possessions at all, living without television at home, living without goals, and so much more that we'll talk about on this episode. We dive in deep, guys. We talk about why humans are so wired to be dissatisfied, how Joshua got into a half a million dollars of debt while he was working a high-paying, successful career job, what minimalism actually is versus what people think it is, the difference between consumption and compulsion, how Joshua runs an online business without having internet in his home at all, and so much more. Guys, 
I know you're going to love this one. It's a powerful episode. No matter if you have lots of possessions, a little possessions, and somewhere in the middle, I just felt cleansed. Uh, I was talking to Joshua and I felt like I learned so much about why we hold on to things and what happens to our mind, our body, and our productivity when we start letting go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 407. Make sure to share it with your friends. All the show notes, the full video is back at lewishouse.com slash 407. And without further ado, let me introduce to you the one, the only Joshua Fields Milburn. Welcome everyone back to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got Joshua Fields Milburn in the house. Good to see you, man. If, we were, if this table wasn't between us, we'd be hugging right now. That's right. We're both huggers. We're definitely huggers. We're both from Ohio. Amen. You're from Dayton. I'm from Delaware. Yes. So yes, very indeed. similar, about an hour, 10 minutes away, I think yeah. they, they are. Indeed. Have you ever been to Delaware? I have not been through Delaware, no. I spent a lot of time in Columbus, though. Yeah, so it's about 20 miles north of Columbus. Okay, So. okay. And I lived in Columbus for a little bit. And um, you are a writer and a minimalist. You've yes. got the Minimalist blog uh-huh. with uh, your partner, your writing partner. And um, you guys have created a movement, man. You guys get almost 5 million unique visitors a year. Yeah. You've got many best-selling books. Whenever you travel the country or the world, you get hundreds, if not thousands of people to show up to hear you guys speak and talk about minimalism. And um, why did you get into it? Because I read your story about your mom going through a challenging experience mm. and your marriage going through a challenging experience. Sure. Can you tell us why you got into minimalism? I'm 35 years old now and uh, about seven years ago, if we do the math there, I was 28. Um, I had achieved everything I ever wanted. The six figure salary back in Dayton. The, it's a pretty big deal in Dayton too. In Dayton, Ohio. No one's really doing that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, and so I had the six-figure salary. I had the big suburban house with with more toilets than people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I had uh, the closets full of expensive clothes, the, the luxury cars, plural. Yeah, all, all the stuff that was supposed to make me happy. And I didn't necessarily feel fulfilled, but I just kept... I knew I was always one promotion, one paycheck, one purchase away from achieving happiness someday in some hypothetical future that was just around the corner. And if I could get this, then I would be happy. And, and that started well, well before that. I mean, I, I grew up really poor uh, in Dayton on, on welfare and food stamps, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a lot of money. And there was a lot of drugs and alcohol in the house. And it was, you know, a dysfunctional household before that right. word dysfunctional was cool. And, and so, <laughs> so, so we, we grew up really poor and I said, I don't, I don't want to live this life. Right. And so by age 18, I, I circumvented the whole college path and just went and got a sales job. And I realized you didn't if, go to school. No, no. Yeah. I, I just realized I almost dropped out of high school and I realized that, that I, if I worked six or seven days a week, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, you can make good money. Even Absolutely. as a 19-year-old, right? You're, you're, you're in sales and I was making $50,000 a year by age 19 in Dayton, Ohio. And you're like, okay. But then I was noticed that I was spending 
$65,000 a year. Right, right. And I had my first experience with debt at, at, at age 19. And I said, oh, okay, well, I thought $50,000 a year would make me well, happy. Not, not student loan debt, a different type of debt. Right, right. Yeah, it was, it was credit card debt. It yes. was just consumer debt, right? You know, there's, uh, there's $12 trillion in, in consumer debt in our country right wow. now. $12 trillion. I, That's not including... Student loans. No, that, that part of that is student loans. So, so, so student loans, mortgages, cars, credit cards. You know, the, the average American has uh, uh, four credit cards in his or her wallet. Oh my gosh. The, the uh, one in 10 Americans has 10 or more active credit cards in his or her wallet. One in 10 Americans has 10, 10 or more. Or more. Yeah, I had 14. And, and so, so I continued to climb that corporate ladder because I, I realized that, that you know what? $50,000. I thought it was going to make me happy, but it's not. I'm spending 65. Maybe I need to adjust for inflation. Sure, right? Sure. So, and, and when I started making 65,000, of course, I that's was spending 80,000. That's not enough. And it's it's never enough, right? And so, by the time I was making six figures, I was spending even better than that. So, I had massive amounts of debt. I had six figures worth of debt, not counting my mortgage. If you have my mortgage in there, it was about about half a million dollars in debt. And and I felt overwhelmed, and so I kept trying to pacify myself with the same way many Americans do with stuff, the accumulation of, of stuff to try to fill this void that I felt inside. But of course, that didn't fill the void. It it basically widened the void. And so I felt more discontent and stress and overwhelm. And so I was working more and I forsook the things that were, that were most important to me, right? Now, I said that certain things were important to me. I said my health was important, right? But I, I weighed... When did you work out? Right. right. I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now. Wow. Uh, and I said my relationships were, were important to me. But really... I was spending most of my time with those tertiary relationships, the, 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 the networking buddies, the executives, the coworkers, yeah. and, and there's nothing wrong with those people. I mean, many of them were great people, but they didn't share the same values, uh, that I shared. And, and, because of that, I wasn't allocating time to the people closest to me, my, my wife or uh, to my family or my closest friends, because I figured, oh, they'll understand, right? I'm off being successful. By age 27, I was the youngest director in my company's 140-year history. I had 150 retail stores that I was responsible wow. for. Uh, I know that's really ironic with the whole minimalism thing now, the, sure. the 150 retail stores, but I was on this. Which this, company was this? It was a telecom company in the Midwest. Cool. Yeah. And uh, so I was, I was going through, I, I was just going through the motions of continuing to climb the ladder. And I, there were these guys who I really aspired to be like, and I had this whole plan laid out for myself, right? I was going to be a, a vice president by age 32, a senior vice wow. president by age 35, a C-level executive by age 40, and then you're set, right? But as I climbed this ladder, I got closer to these guys and realized that many of them were kind of miserable. Yeah, they were on their third marriage. I, 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 my boss had his second heart attack. I worked with a guy who was 30 years old. He was three years older than me who had his first heart attack at what? age 30. And, and so, of course, what I tell myself, but I'll be different, right? I'm not going to be like those guys. But if you follow the same recipe, you're going to get the the same pie exactly. that, you, that, that they've baked. And so <laughs> I realized, you know what, I, I need to make some changes, but I don't know what. And then in 2009, when I was 28, my, my mother died yes. and my marriage ended both in the same month. Holy cow. And, and these two events forced me to look around and start to question what had become my life's focus. 
And I realized I, I was so focused on so-called success and achievement and especially on the accumulation of stuff, the trophies of, of success. Like, look at me. I have you know, two Lexuses and I have this, right. I have that, I have the bigger house and, and, and the golf membership or whatever. You yeah. Know. Yeah. The racket club membership. There actually. You go. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so I, ha- I had these, these things and here's, here's the thing I want to get across. So there's nothing inherently wrong with stuff. We, we all need some stuff. The problem isn't consumption. The problem is this compulsory consumption, buying things because that's what we think we're supposed to do. We, we've been sold this meme of the American dream. If you get this, then you will be happy as if there is a template for happiness. And in fact, I think that's one of the, the bigger problems is, is we are chasing happiness. And for the longest time, that's what I did. I chased happiness when and that forced me to, to, to really forsake what was important. In fact, I was at a point in my life when I was very narrowly successful, right? Like I had the job title, right? but I wasn't, I wasn't broadly successful. And it's because I, there wasn't a lot of meaning in what I was doing. We all have to earn a living. I, I understand that. But, but I was so focused on, on just accumulating more money and, and status and identity. My whole life was wrapped up in that identity. I mean, when, when you meet someone, what's one of the first questions they ask you? Well, they ask you, what do you do? I don't yes. ask that question. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, well, and, and so when I was, you know, and I had the, the bigger problem for me is I had this impressive job title, right? Because when you think about that question, like what, what does it mean? Like it's, it's such a broad question. What do you do? Well, I drink water. I walk down the street. I go to concerts. <laughs> yeah. I read books. Oh, you're asking me, where do you work? How much money do you earn? What's your job title? So I can compare you to me on the socioeconomic ladder. Yes. Now, now we don't posit the question that way because if we did, we'd, we'd sound like a real jerk. If I, if I, if I said, well, uh, how much money do you make and where do you work? You'd be like, well, wait a minute. Like that's, that's a weird question. Why are you asking me? So instead we should just say, what do you do? And then we're supposed to recite our job title and then spend 15 minutes talking about something we may or may not be passionate about. Yeah. And so I, I, I did an experiment when I was back in the corporate world and when I said, okay, people keep asking me, like, what do you do? And I need to untether from this identity. And the only way for me to untether from this identity is to let go of that answer. And so when, when I did this for a year and when people said, um, what do you do? I'd say, I'm really passionate about writing. See, for, for the past decade, I had written fiction and that was really the thing I was passionate about. I really enjoyed doing. Now, Notice I didn't say I'm a writer because then you start getting the accusatory questions, right? You get the, oh, really? Um, you're a writer. Uh, who's your publisher? Who's your right, agent? Right. Have you written anything I would have read? Or, or you, oh, so you're saying you don't have a job? <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And, and so I would just, in, instead of talking about the, the now and I'm a writer, I would talk about the verb, what I'm actually passionate about doing, the, the creating. And, and for me, that was writing. And I'd flip the question around. Instead of saying, what do you do? I'd say, what are you passionate yeah. about? And that would change the whole trajectory of our, of our conversation. Someone would say, oh, I'm passionate about snowboarding. They might be an accountant, right. but they're they're passionate about snowboarding or they're passionate about playing basketball or whatever it may be. The conversation is much richer at that point. Yes. Yeah. It can connect and relate in different areas. Yes. I always ask, what are you excited about Yes, right now in your life? What are you most excited about in your life? Yeah. And that brings up the same thing usually about what they're passionate about. Yes. Well, I'm excited about this passion project of mine. Uh-huh. 
something, something I'm working on yeah. or, or, you know, something that my family's going through, my kids are doing, whatever. It's something that I'm excited about. And sometimes it can be your vocation. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I just talked about an accountant earlier. Uh, our accountant back in Missoula, Montana, he is passionate about accounting. Now, yeah. I don't know how someone could personally be passionate. I could People not love be. numbers. They love like figuring out the solutions, you know, solving the problems. Now, my guess is knowing you, you, it'd be very difficult for you to be passionate about accounting, right? I would not love it. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and no. same for me. It'd be hard for me to be passionate about accounting. Now, there are other people who are passionate about horseback riding, right? I couldn't see myself being passionate about horseback riding no. either. And that's okay. The, the, the key is that like, there isn't one thing that we were born to do with our lives, right? right. You, you weren't born to be an astronaut or a yoga teacher or an right, accountant. Right. Uh, the, the truth for me was that what I was doing as a vocation didn't necessarily align with my values, with my beliefs, with my interests, with my desires. And, and as I started to figure out what my values were, I realized that what I was doing with my time didn't align with the person I wanted to become, the person I aspired to be. And so after those two events happened with me, my, my mother died, my marriage ended, I, I stumbled across this thing called minimalism. And it started with, with a guy named Colin Wright. Uh, we were talking before, he, he's a guy who, who moves to a new country every four months and everything he owns fits in his backpack. And I admired that, but that's not something I want to do. I don't want to be the peripatetic writer who travels everywhere. And that was really cool. And, but what I admired about it is he said this thing called minimalism allowed him to focus on what he was passionate about. For him, that was travel. And so he writes about his travel experiences. And, and that was really cool. But I didn't want to just be this traveling guy oh, that just goes yeah. around. Yeah. And so maybe that's what minimalism was, I thought at first. But then I, I stumbled across guys like like Leo Babalta and his wife Eva and their six kids. Right. And I said, oh, there's minimalist families. Wait a minute. They're, they live in society that aren't just like right. wandering around. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, and, and they, you know, they're not off the grid or anything. They actually yeah. live in, in the city, right? They have a laptop, they have a cell phone. Yes. Right? Yeah. And and um although they don't have to, the the, the question is like what actually adds value to your life. And I realized that, that I owned a lot of stuff. Did, did you know the average American household has 300,000 items in it? No way. 300,000. But I, I think most of us aren't hoarders. Uh, we, we just, we hold on to a lot of stuff. We hold on to all these supposed memories, right? And I know that's what I was doing. That's what my mom did when I went to deal with her stuff. And, and I realized that, you know what? Um, some of this stuff actually adds value to my life. I don't know what. And so I, I started small because I had attachment to so many things in my life. I had given so much meaning to my stuff. And I yes. said, I need to try to get rid of some of this. Like some of it's in the way. I don't know what, what's actually adding value. And so uh, over the course of, of 30 days, I just started, I said, I'm going to let go of one thing a day, one item a day, each day for 30 days. And what, what would happen if, that, if, if I did that? Well, of course, you're not going to put a big dent in 300,000 items. <laughs> yeah, now, I, 299. I, I, yeah, I, I, I probably still had, I, I had 300,000 items, but I was a very well-organized hoarder. So like it wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't a candidate for the TV show necessarily. Sure, detailed in boxes, yeah. And labeled. Yeah, there was an ordinal system of bins. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and so, yes, there was a lot of stuff that was very well hidden, basically. It was organized hoarding. And so I said, I'm going to get rid of an item a day for 30 days. Well, of course, once you get momentum, I, I got rid of way more than 30 items sure, in the sure. first 30 days. I don't know if I'd do that because I would, I just want to get rid of all of it at once. I'd be like, let's just 
purge it all. Uh, yeah. And so, go through this room, no, you know, right well, now. Well, that, that's actually great because so. I spent about eight months getting rid of, so from that beginning, it took me about eight months to radically simplify my life. And I, wow. over those eight months, I got rid of about 90% of my possessions. Still 50,000 on or whatever, you know? Yeah, right. It's like, I don't, I don't know what's left. It's certainly not like Colin who owns, you know, 52 items and they all fit in his backpack or whatever. Uh, for me, it was like, you could come to my house today and you're going to be like, oh, the, this guy's really tidy. You're not going to say, oh my, oh my God, God, this guy's a minimalist, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and what adds value to my life today may, may be different five years from now or whatever. Like when I first embraced minimalism, I was 28 years old. Seven years later, I have a three-year-old. I have a partner. You know, our needs are appreciably different from when I was you know, a single guy sort of out living on, on my own. Although it's not, my values aren't different. Yes. And I, th I think that's what's important is identifying what is important in my life and what is going to, what items, what material possessions are going to augment that experience and, and not get in the way. Yes. And, and, and so letting go allowed me to figure out the paradox of, of minimalism is I get far more value from the material items I own now th than by watering them down with hundreds of thousands of right. items. It's kind of like you were the original magic guide of tidying up, right? <laughs> like that book came out like a year ago, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It came, well, we, when Ryan and I were, we were on a book tour for our second book, um, uh, everything that remains. And I think it came out right around that same time. And that thing blew up, it, man. It really did. And I think a lot of the professional organizers really get it. That, that, that scene of, I always say the easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. Yes. And I, th <laughs> I, I think professional organizers understand that. I think the problem that we run into with us amateurs and me being an amateur organizer, uh, uh, one of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What, I, what I've realized is that most people just try to cover up the problem by organizing. The, and this is what I did. I, I'd go to the container store and buy all these containers and have this whole system for hiding stuff in my basement. You didn't need the stuff in the first place. Exactly. Right. And so, so, uh, when I, when I simplify my life, people at work started coming up to me and, and saying, you know what, you, you seem less stressed. You, you seem so much calmer. And I didn't tell, I didn't jump up and say, look at me, I'm becoming a minimalist. And all of you need to, too. I, I wasn't out proselytizing. Like <laughs> I'm, I wasn't out trying to convert anyone to minimalism. Right. In, in fact, I, I, I'm still not trying to convert anyone to minimalism. I just want to share a recipe that's worked really well for me in hopes that some people can tweeze out a few ingredients and, and apply it to their own life in, in some cool. way. And so, so after I let go, you know, my best friend of 20 something years, uh, a guy named Ryan Nicodemus, uh, we worked together. We climbed the corporate ladder together. We knew each other since we were fat little fifth graders. And, and he came to me one day and he said, why the hell are you so happy? And, and I said, let me talk to you about this thing called minimalism. And I explained how I'd let go and, and sort of purge 90% of my possessions over the last eight months. And he's like, he was like you, he, cause he's like, you spent eight months getting rid of your stuff? Like, that sounds really awesome. I want to do it now. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay. He's like, 
how can I become a minimalist? Like in a week, yeah, <laughs> in a weekend, it, it, pretty much. And and so he he came up with this idea called a packing party, um, where the easiest way to start start to deal with your stuff, and you know, whenever you move, you 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 realize like. Oh, I've got a lot of stuff to move, right? So he he boxed up everything in his two thousand square foot condo in Dayton, Ohio, and, and I mean literally everything. Three he had three bedrooms, two bathrooms, two living rooms. I mean, a single guy with a cat and two living rooms, and he's like, "Why do I have all this stuff?" So he boxed up everything as if he were moving, put it all in his second second living room, stacked halfway to his twelve foot ceiling, and and said. Okay, over the next three weeks, I'm going to unpack only the items I truly need. And I don't know what's in all these boxes for sure, but, you know, so that first night he's unpacking a toothbrush and some toothpaste and then clothes for work the next day, a bed and bed sheets. He even packed up his furniture, like wow. everything as if he were moving. And over the course of, of uh, about three weeks, he had unpacked about 20% of his stuff, but 80% of his stuff was still in boxes. Oh my gosh. And he looked at this mountain of stuff. I remember going over to, to his condo and he's like, Josh, I don't even remember what's in most of these boxes. All, all of these things that I worked so hard for over the last uh, decade, it's supposed to make me happy, but it's not doing its job. And so he donated or sold all of it. And, and about a month later, he came to me and he said, I think some other people would find value in, in, in this message. You know, and Josh, you've, you've written for a while do you think you could write some nonfiction stuff? And so we started a website. We didn't even know it was called a blog at the time. Uh, you know, I always your partner. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so Ryan, uh, Ryan said, yeah, I think we could share this. And so we, we started the minimalists.com and, and that was, that was about six years ago. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think the cool thing is people started to find value in, in that message. We were still working in the corporate world at the time and, and still letting go and realizing you could start to, you could live a, a regular life Without, without, uh, you know, being a, a hermit or a nomad sure, sure. or an ascetic or a right. monk a or backpacker. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you think humans are are so wired to be dissatisfied? I think so. So they did an experiment with some some chimpanzees a few years ago, and and it's interesting because if you look at uh, give if you give a chimpanzee a banana it's going to eat a banana, right? I mean, it's just, it's wired to do that. Um, we're all wired to eat, right? right. And, and if you give it enough bananas to eat and share, it will eat and share the bananas. If you give it a horde of bananas, it will try to kill other ch- chimpanzees that try to take it. And I think we're wired like a chest of them, like a ton yeah, of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if you fill this room here with, with bananas, it will try to fight off and kill other chimpanzees. They want to take one. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Uh, I, we don't know why exactly, but, but we, but we know that, that there's something about this overabundance uh, of, of stuff uh, that, that the scarcity this idea of scarcity comes, starts to come into play and, and, and we you know, literally will hoard. And I think it's the same psychology with, with material possessions. And I think people do that with money too. And other I, things. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with money. I mean, I'm certainly not allergic sure, sure, sure. to money. Um, yeah. uh, but, but, it's no longer the primary driver for doing what I do. And, and, and I no longer worry about money the same way I used to because I'm much more intentional with the decisions that I make with my money. And, and I mean, I think we all have to pay the bills. And, and so sometimes that requires a nine to five or right. starting a business or, or, or doing something that may not be your ultimate passion project. 
But for me, anything I do to earn money, it has to align with my values. And, and if it doesn't, then I have to be willing to walk away from that and find, find sure, something sure. else. Why do you think we keep buying stuff even though we know it's not going to fill the holes? I think advertising does a very good job of making us desire things and making us... Uh, feel not good enough unless we have it or not. Hungry for a food we didn't know existed. Mm. And 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 so we the average person sees 5,000 advertisements a day. So that's what a million or so a year. And and, and we, we are indoctrinated by these things. And, and, and so I don't think... Advertisements are inherently bad, but I think seeing that many messages, that the, that many discrete bits of input every single day is inherently problematic. And so the the, the question is, how, how can I turn the volume down on that mm-hmm. so, so that I can make more deliberate decisions with my attention? Because it's not just money we're spending. It's time. It's attention. These are other resources that are yes. even more important than money. Right. What about the internet? How do you think the internet's increased consumerism? I, I think, well, technology, it, it's weird because it seems a bit quixotic to think that we can fix our, our problem of, of consumption with a different type of consumption, <laughs> right? And, and so um, uh, a friend of mine named Cal Newport, are you familiar with, with Cal? Sounds familiar. He, he wrote a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. I've heard of it. Um, and he wrote a book recently called Deep Work. Uh, he just had a TEDx talk come out this past month called Quit Social Media. Mm. And he advocates for just quitting, getting off social media altogether. Now, I, uh, full disclosure, I'm on social media. Um, mm. but, but he talks about how, how they've aggregated our attention. Uh, social media is, is, is engineered to aggregate our attention, to give us these, these ephemeral bursts of pleasure, these likes and retweets and shares and whatever else to, to keep coming back for more. It's tantamount to having a, a slot machine. Mm-hmm. It, it, because you're constantly pulling to see if you've won. The problem is though, it's now we're carrying around the slot machine in our pocket all day and and constantly pulling that lever to see if I've, I've won more attention. And so I don't think that's inherently bad either, but I think it can be problematic if that is the purpose that we use it for. I'm not as, as strict as someone like Cal would be. I find value in social media. I use it as a, as a platform to disseminate information and and to communicate with others. But I, I can see how it would be problematic for many people, including myself. I've done some pretty interesting experiments over the last Uh six years. What are the experiments you've done? You've gone without a phone for a few months, right? I I did. I, so, so when I first, uh, I'm, first became a minimalist. I said, okay, I'm going to work hard on paying down my debt. So I moved to this tiny $500 a month apartment in Dayton. Um, and I just started going crazy on paying off all my debt. Right. I said, I don't want to be tied to this lifestyle anymore in order to be, to not be tied to this career. I need to be able to pay off this debt. And so yeah, I went on the, the ramen noodle diet, oh, wow. not, not, not literally, sure, but, sure. but, but a thousand dollar a month yeah, lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. I spent as, as little as I could so, so that I could get out of debt and no longer be tied to the same obligations. Right. And, and so, uh, when I moved into that apartment, I didn't hook up internet for the first few days because it was like a weekend or whatever. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if I could go 30 days without internet at home, 30 days without internet. So I, I'm going to try it. It'll give me something to write about. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, that was, it was five years ago and I have not had internet at home since. And, and I run an online business. Holy cow. And, and so 
So I can tell you the reason I don't have internet. What is, about your phone? You've got internet there. Uh, sort of, sort of. But but I, I found a way around that too because I wanted to be I wanted to be able to write about that. Wow. Uh, so so it was the most productive month of my life. Wow. When, and, and those thirty days, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get it back next month. Either. And so it just sort of continued from there. And it's not to say that I won't ever have it again someday. I, I, we have an office in, in Missoula, Montana, so I, I drive to the office, and and it's a place where I can work schedule there. it. Yeah, I can work there, and and I have an office at home too. And uh, but there's no internet there. But that, that that's a place for me to create. But you're probably so focused when you're at home writing. It, it's deep work. It, it's it's full concentration. You're so, in the flow. Yeah, you're not distracted by social media likes and yes, who left a comment here and exactly. And so so yes, I do have a phone at home, but I keep it on, as soon as I get home. The first thing I do is put it on this charging stand. And in fact, I, I I do I go out of my way to like keep it away from my person. We, we you were asking me if I had a picture of something earlier. I had to like go into my bag and dig my phone out because I I try to be as present as I can, and I am constantly failing at that, and that's okay. Like I I'm 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 not anyone's Yoda. I I I, I fail at it all the time, but I learn so much from it. So when I got rid of uh, internet, it was uh, maybe six months earlier. I'd got rid of TV at home. And, and, and realize that, you know, that wasn't adding as much value as I thought it was. It was disconnecting you from your partner or your mm-hmm. children or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I was so, so I, no TV, I had no TV and then I did no internet. And then for two months I got rid of my cell phone and you learn about a special kind of loneliness. Like once, <laughs> cause I mean, think about this. You've removed all your pacifiers, right? Cause it was my first, you have to be with your thoughts. Yeah. You have to be with your thoughts, but, but then, and you have to be with, you know, people and you have to make plans in a different way. And also here was the interesting thing. You learn a lot about your friends too, because, because if you're going to meet someone for lunch and, and yeah, I'm running a few minutes behind, yes. you text really quick. Yeah. Right. I couldn't do it. You anymore. were just there and you're on time and you're waiting. Oh yeah. And you learn how what's happening. There aren't, aren't any pay phones anymore. I mean, there, there was one in Dayton where I lived. I had to, you know, walk in the rain four or five blocks and to you get don't there. even have quarters anymore. So no. you're like, how do I play? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And so you're not remembering the numbers anymore. No, we're all plugged in our phone. I Absolutely. used to remember every number. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, you know, your five friends, uh-huh. your home phone, you know. Yeah, there's a great John Mayer lyric. He he talks about the shape of calling. Like I no longer remember the shape of calling home, and, and shape of calling home. Huh? Yeah, because you got you know you remember yeah, used yeah. to remember these numbers like on, on yeah, the yeah, keypad the, there or the, the the little dial ringer. You remember those? Oh yes, day? yeah, the, the the rotary phone. Yes, yes, that was me. Like age six or seven. <laughs> yeah, we totally, I grew up with one of those. Yep. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I realized that, that once I removed all these pacifiers that I had to, I had to fill the void with something else that was more, maybe more meaningful. And so I'd rediscovered these things called books. <laughs> They're amazing. Let me right. tell you. But you're so minimalist. You didn't have books. <laughs> so you just rented them from the library. Yeah. No, I wrote them. And you then I read them. <laughs> and then you read them. <laughs> no, I mean, so I, I rediscovered time to, to create more. I rediscovered time. And then the cool thing is, Minimalism isn't about deprivation for me. Like I'm not trying to deprive myself of these things. I'm not an ascetic. I don't want to go live in a cave somewhere. I do want to live in our society. I just want to do so deliberately. And so I decided to bring a phone back into my life. And when I did, I, I used it more deliberately. No longer do I have Facebook on my phone. No longer do I uh, have email on my phone. I um, uh, I use it's it, a phone. Yeah, I use it to make phone calls. <laughs> I send text messages. GPS. That's how I got here today. It was yeah, GPS sure. Uber? I, I took an Uber to yeah. get here. And so so the technology is there and, and I allow it to, to add value to my life. But when it starts getting in the way, I, I try to check myself because the phone isn't the problem. I'm the problem. And, and once I realized that I knew I could, ch- I could change that by just being more deliberate with, with how I use it. Mm. 
Yeah. It's powerful, man. Wow. So when did you move then? So you moved to Montana a few years ago? Yeah. So, so Ryan and I started the minimalists.com uh, December of 2010. Um, I left the corporate world in 2011 and, uh, at the end of that year, so a year after we started the website, we published our first book, which is called minimalism, live a meaningful life. And it was sort of about the five higher order values, health, relationships, passion, growth, and contribution. You know, the, 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 the ability to, to focus on, I mean, not just our, our, our basic needs, food and shelter and, and all these other things, which is important, but going beyond that, minimalism wasn't just about the stuff for me, right? It, it, that was the initial bite at the apple that changed everything. But I think we get so caught up in just the stuff. We, we, we think decluttering is just a point. I think anyone watching or listening to this could go rent a dumpster, throw all their crap in it, and be utterly miserable because mm. you've just removed the pacifiers. The, the point isn't just getting rid of the stuff and coming home to an empty house and sulking that, that <laughs> no one wants that. Right. I don't want to tell anyone to get rid of your book collection or, or whatever, like whatever adds value to your life. I encourage you to hold on to, but question what adds value to your life? Well, what is adding value? And so, so when I had let go of the stuff and started writing about it, people found value in it and people started asking about, about writing a book. And so we, we did and uh, wrote that book minimalism and we went out, on the small book tour over the course of about a year, we did 33 cities. So we'd go out for a week and then we'd come back and, um, we were in our tour bus, which is Ryan's 2004 Toyota Corolla. Nice. And, um, we, we'd hit the road and we'd go just out. you two or you bring yeah. out? Yeah, it was, ju- it was just us two. And we'd go to these bookstores and, and, um, yeah, we'd have these little events and that was back in the day when you know, we were lucky if, if eight people showed up, it was a big event. Right. And, and that was so great. I mean, it was almost more, it was more like a listening tour. I remember our fourth tour stop, we were in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, and, there was no one there. There was literally no one there. We're sitting there at this, at this bookstore and we're like, okay, I guess this is it. It was like a little coffee shop there. And like, all right, I'm going to get a coffee to go. We're driving back to Dayton tonight. No way. Yeah. And as we're leaving this, this guy who, and, and his girlfriend goes, Hey, you're the minimalists. And I'm like, yes, we are. And <laughs> we're just setting up. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's like, hey, I've, we drove like three hours to come see you. Wow. And it ended up being this awesome one-on-one session. This guy who had a lot of sort of issues in his life. And it was a perfect opportunity to have this this almost like one-on-one coaching with this guy that we wouldn't have been able to have other uh, otherwise if, you know, if dozens of people had shown up or hundreds or thousands of people had shown up. And we learned a lot from that that tour and, and just going out on the road and listening to people and hearing their stories and, and telling our stories to figure out what stories resonated, which ones didn't. And that's actually how we wrote our, our second book. So at the end of, of that, that tour, uh, we finished in, in Vancouver, BC. We were driving back to Dayton, Ohio, and we had to drive through Missoula, Montana. And, and driving through the state of Montana, it's like a 10-hour drive. I mean, it's this massive state. We woke up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It was gorgeous, and it just got more gorgeous throughout the day. And Ryan looked over at me and he goes, Hey man, we've got to come back out here to write the next book. So we, we rented a cabin in the middle of nowhere, Montana near Butte and, and on the side of a mountain for, you know, it was like 800 bucks a month to be in the middle of this gorgeous wilderness. And we wrote that second book or the first draft of it. And uh, we wake up every day. It's a negative 28 degrees outside and it's a conducive environment for writing. I'll yes, just say that. You, stay you, in and write. Yeah. You can do push ups and write and that's about it. <laughs> that's right? soup. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, uh, we moved out to Montana and I found, uh, we found ourselves sort of gravitating toward, um, 
Missoula, Montana, which is the city there. And, and uh, when we were writing that book, it, was, it really came from all the, the stories that resonated with the people from that last tour. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this story really resonated. And we're talking about the packing party, or we would talk about, you know, my mom's death and me going through her, her material possessions and trying to let go of sentimental items. And, and so we learned what resonated, what didn't. The things I thought were very profound, they landed on deaf ears and the other things the packing party was sort of an afterthought and people that really resonated with people and so what we learned was that that here are the things that that people find value in let's let's share more of that and so yeah we we ended up in montana about four years ago and uh yeah we've been there ever since what do you think brings you the most fulfillment today i always look back to those five values and, and and so if my health is is lacking, then I need to repair that. That's if, the first thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think they're all they're all tied though. If my relationships are are lacking, it means if I'm not giving to them or if I'm not getting what I need from those relationships, then I have to question why, right? And, and so if I'm not creating, you know, if I'm not passionate about yeah. this this creativity or this craft, then then I'm lacking. If I feel like I'm not growing or if I'm not you know, giving to the world in, in a meaningful way, th- then any of those areas, if any of those areas are empty, right, that's the weak link. And I, I need to go back and fix sure, that. Sure. And, and, you know, it, it's constant every day. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at how do I serve these values in my life? And if, if I'm not serving them, then I need to be honest with myself and find a way to fix that. How does someone, is there like a minimalist assessment test that people can take <laughs> where you can ask a number of questions to yourself? And- <laughs> Uh, you know, where your stuff is owning you as opposed to you are owning your stuff and sure. your control of your life. Is there like an, a few questions you could ask people listening? That's yeah. like There's one question in particular okay. that I would ask. How might your life be better with less? It's a counterintuitive question at first, right? Because we're always thinking about more. How do I get this? How do I bring this into my life? How do I achieve that? How do I take on this new responsibility, this new project? How do I get this promotion? Uh but how might my life be better with less? That's a different question. And for me at first, it was less commitment, less financial obligation. You know, for me, I had all that debt. And so the first benefit for me was regaining control of my finances mm-hmm. and, and developing a plan to deal with that. And, and to do that, I had to be less focused on, on the stuff. I had to sell a lot of stuff. I had to, to stop accumulating and buying things because the price tag is one cost, but then there's all these other costs as well. You have to have the space to store it or to clean it or take care of it or to charge it or, or, or to whatever, put gas in it, all of the, these things. And so, so by asking that question, how might your life be better with less? You identify what the benefits are for you and they're different for everyone. Mm-hmm. I had a 93 year old come to our last event in San Diego and she came in the hug line afterward and she goes, I just want you to know that she brought uh, three generations of daughters. So her, her, her daughter, her granddaughter and her great granddaughter with her. And she goes, I just want you to know that I'm 93 years old and I am finally simplifying my life for the first time. Wow. Uh, we had a 13 year old show up in Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm like, hey, buddy, did your mom drag you out here? I see your mom, you're with your mom here. He's like, are you kidding me? I dragged her out here because I thought maybe my parents could find some, some value, some benefits in this minimalist message. That's cool. And what I learned is the benefits 
are going to be different for everyone. But we're all asking the same question. It's how do I live a more meaningful life? And, and part of that has to do with just changing our focus to yeah. figure out what's important. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I bet if you came into my place right now and you looked around, you wouldn't think I'm a minimalist, but I really don't accumulate a lot. Of I would things. think you're intentional. Yeah, I'm very intentional. Yeah. Like it's all, you know, I don't want to have a blank room in here. So sure. I have some stuff on the, you know, it's intentional things. Yeah. But this is like pretty much it. When I moved to LA, I had two bags, uh-huh. a laptop and a guitar. Minimalist. I didn't have anything else. <laughs> I In Ohio, I got rid of all my stuff, moved to New York City and I had two bags when I came here to LA. And I really don't need much. Mm. You know, I've got an, uh, an older car. It's a $4,000 car that I bought. Sure. But I'm not looking to buy new things. Yeah. I would say I'm looking to have impactful things mm. and and updated equipment that I could yeah. use to produce better quality. They're content. tools yes, though, right? Tools, exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's how a lot of and, the, the and this things are. This is my home are. and my office. Yes. Yeah. So it's like I'm maximizing my space. For sure. And I, you'll talk to my assistant, I purge probably every few months because I get a bunch of like just packages and bags, like constantly like gear from people always sending me stuff. And right. I, I'm just trying to purge it as often as I can to mm-hmm. make my closet simple and clean and organized mm-hmm. just is minimal, but not to the extreme, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, for me, minimalism isn't a radical lifestyle. It's a practical lifestyle. And, and my version of minimalism is going to look different from your version. It's going yeah. to look different from Leo's version, who has six kids. His will necessarily yeah. look different. I'll tell you this. Leo is the ultimate minimalist. He washes his shirts in the sink still. No now, way. He doesn't make his family do that, but he does it as a ritual. And, and to to show that he can't, he doesn't have to have this attachment to the to these things. And I hey, find I like the washer and dryer. I amen. No, I, <laughs> I, I like simplicity. I have a washer and dryer. I do too. But he finds value in that ritual. Sure, sure. And and so that that's different for him. And and what I've realized is that as a minimalist everything I own serves a purpose or it brings me joy. So, so whether it's serving a purpose, like the equipment that you have here, that all, those are all tools or, or they bring you joy, like aesthetic joy. Like you have you know, these photos and artwork and things on, on, on the walls and, and on hangers and things like that, that, that serves an aesthetic purpose yes. as well. And, and so it brings you joy in some way. And, and so I think that's great. I don't want people to deprive themselves or think that's necessary. Now you can temporarily deprive yourself. I think sometimes that's, that's helpful. If you remove something from your life for a temporary period of time, like I did with the cell phone to figure out when I bring it back in, does this actually add value? And if so, how can it add the most value to my life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think somewhere could what do you think people listening could do to get started? Whether they want to say, I want to get rid of some things or I want to be more minimalist or more intentional. Sure. Is there one post that we could refer them to? Is yeah. there yeah. A, a set of three things they can start with? What's something they can yeah. do? So start with, start with that question. And that one's yeah. so important because you need to identify what the benefits are for you. We all know instinctually how to declutter your closet, right? right? So you're never going to see me and Ryan write about, here are the 67 ways sure, for sure, you to sure. declutter your closet. Go get the magic guide of tidying up. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not exactly. opposed to that, but it's just not, it's just not my thing. We don't write the how to stuff. We write the why to stuff. And, and, and so it's important for me to understand the why to, but from some tips for how to, I mean, I'll, I'll give you three things really quickly. Number one is 30 day minimalism game. You can find that at the minimalists.com slash game. Uh, here's how we'll, it works. We'll really have it linked quick. up too for you guys. Yeah. yeah great. If you want to throw it in, in the show notes, that'd be awesome. Um, but basically I think decluttering personally, just for me, is kind of boring. Uh, And so we found a way to make it a little more fun with some friendly competition. So at the beginning of a month, you partner up with someone, Mm -hmm. a friend, a family member, a coworker, your arch nemesis, whoever it may be, (laughs) and you decide to let go of some stuff over the course of the month. Now, on the first day of the month, it's really easy. You each get rid of one item. 
Second day of the month, two items. Third day of the month, three items. So you get that momentum you need. It starts off really easy, but by mid-month, it's much more difficult. 15th day of the month, I have to get rid of 15 items. 20th day of the month, 20 items. And whoever goes the longest wins. So you can wager whatever you want. Uh, you bet a dollar, bet a, uh, you know, a, a lunch, or whatever you want to bet. Um, if you both make it to the end of the month, you both won, though, because you've both gotten rid of 500 items, and it's a really right. good start. And, and I find that we've had tens of thousands of listeners share stuff on, on social media now. So if you go to that post, you can find a link and see a bunch of pictures of people That's sharing cool. online as well. So having that other person there to help keep you accountable and you keep them accountable makes it more enjoyable, but it also sustains the process a lot longer. How does someone go through this? Say you get rid of 100,000 things or whatever because you think it's a cool idea, but how do you do it? So you don't reaccumulate those things. Sure. So there's a deeper why that keeps you maintaining it. Yes. How yeah. does someone so, so, do that? Well, I, I did a few things. So the, the question that was really important to me early on was, does this add value to my life when I was letting go of stuff? But then uh, as an experiment, at the beginning of 2011, so this is uh, about a month after we had started our, our website, I needed something to write about. And so I decided, well, we're the minimalists. I'm going to be the authority on this. So... I need something to write about. I'm not going to buy anything this year as a New Year's resolution, except for you know, food and hygiene products, right? And so I'm not going to buy any new material possessions for a no year. No clothes. Yeah, no clothes, no electronics. No, no new gear, no new tools yeah, for your business. Nothing. Nothing. Not even for your business. Yeah, not even for the business, right? Uh, I'm just going to do this for a year to see what happens. Food and toiletries. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Man, was that way more difficult than I thought. Oh my goodness. Especially with, you know, Amazon at your fingertips and everything else, it, it, it becomes nearly impossible. But what I did, it took about four months to really retrain myself because I'd be at a store and I'd see, you know, I really want to buy this glass and I think it's beautiful. I'm going to buy this. Oh wait, I can't buy the, I'm, I'm doing this experiment. And then, you know, I'd be at the store a week later getting some you know, deodorant or whatever. And I, I'm, oh, I really want to, Oh, that's right. I can't. And and about at about the four month mark, I oh, started to get this gift for someone. Yeah, oh, I can't. I can't. Yeah, to write them a letter instead. Yeah, or, or yeah. make them a gift or, or buy an experience, you know, oh, concert shit. tickets, or, oh, yeah, or spend time with someone. So so I, I still spent money on experiences, but not on material possessions. And so, but by the end of four months, I would walk by this glass and say, "Oh, that's a really nice glass. I really like that." And that was it. I didn't feel the urge to continue to consume. And so when I, that, that feeling has stuck around for the last five years, I would encourage anyone who is eager to, to try to limit the things they're bringing into their life to set up some sort of rule like that. Now, you don't have to be as extreme as that. But even now, for me, with any big purchase, it's over $250. I have to wait at least a month in order to, to make that purchase. Think about it. And then a month later, then you yeah. purchase if you still want it. Yeah. If I still want it, if I still need it, if I still think it's going to add value to my life. And that forces wow. me to continue to contemplate that. Um, and, and so I'm asking that question. I've asked that question so much. Does this add value to my life that it's no longer an intellectual exercise? It's an emotional one. Is this going to add value to my life? I'm going to know. You know in a moment. Yeah. And you have to be honest with yourself. But also holding on to the thing. Just because I get value from this today doesn't mean I'll get value from it six months from it's now. It's like a tattoo. Maybe it's a nice idea right now, but <laughs> in a year or two, are you going to be glad you had it? Who is Jenny? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, uh, but it, I think it's, uh, it, it's the same thing. Like, is this going to continue to add value? And if not, I have to be willing to let go. Sure. What, um, 
You have a new documentary that you guys put together over the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. And it just came out. Can you share a little bit about it? Yeah, it, it came out in theaters uh, at the end of May. And uh, basically, you know, for the last six years, it's been the Josh and Ryan show. And that's been great. We've been able to share a recipe and, and millions of people have found value in that. And and people have liked our books and, and our blog posts and now the podcast. Yes. And, and, and so that's been great. And so what I've learned over the last five, six years is I started off just wanting to be an author. Initially it was a literary fiction author. And then I started writing nonfiction and really enjoyed writing a memoir and, and, and went through that whole process. I've become much more vehicle agnostic over the last six years. And I, I don't know if you know the stat, but, but 55% of adults in the United States read less than one book a year. So if you write, if you just write books, it doesn't matter how awesome your book is. Half of the the adult audience is uh, won't even read uh, one of those popula- books. Yeah, and your your book doesn't have any any chance. So the the people who read you know ten or more books is a very slim percentage. But many people will will you know, use other mediums to consume different bits of content. And so whether that's the, the we've we've done two TEDx talks, uh, we've done you know, the blog or the books. We wanted to find ways to, to communicate and reach people and show people that it wasn't the, this this radical lifestyle. So we went out and we interviewed minimalists from all walks of life, minimalist entrepreneurs and minimalist families, tiny house enthusiasts. Uh, uh, do you know Graham Hill? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, from New York. He, he So he does this... Um, uh, he, he runs a website called Life Edited, but he has this this 420 square foot apartment that we have in in the documentary, and it sleeps seven. You can have dinner for twelve. What? It has a, an office in it, and it's because it's all modular. So like this table comes to the floor, these right. beds. Fall, I mean, and it's unbelievable. And he utilizes every. this 400 every square inch. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so so. Uh, and that that may not be appealing to everyone. In, in right. fact, the we we have one lady, Tammy Strobel, who only got one bathroom. That's a challenge. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, that, that is definitely a Twelve challenge. Twelve for one bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, w- w- we had Tammy in there. She had her 183 square foot tiny house. I don't want to live in a tiny house personally, but I admire people who yes. want to live in that and then find a way to execute it. And so we interviewed those people. I interviewed a, a minimalist architect in Tucson, Arizona, who had this really cool plot of land with three houses on it, but they were all, they weren't tiny houses, but they were appropriate. And he kept using this word appropriate, in fact. And I felt like that was the perfect word for minimalism because he said when he builds a house for someone, he doesn't just go, go to, to their, he doesn't just show them a blueprint of your typical house. He doesn't ask, do you want a living room? And do you want a dining room? Because people say, yes. He asks, how are you going to live your life? And he tries to build a house around that life instead of trying to cram a life into a home. And, and I really admired that because he said, everything I bring into my, my home, everything that I bring into my life is appropriate for my life. And, and that's what we wanted to show people. So we got that side of it, but then we also wanted to be more beta driven and, and we wanted to, to show the, the other side of, we didn't want it to just be like this, Oh, look at these people and this template for living. That, that was interesting. So we, we went out and we got neuroscientists and neuropsychologists and, and a bunch of different people, economists, a former wall street broker, and, and all of these people who were using this idea of simplifying and living more intentionally, but able to quantify it in a way yeah. that, that really highlighted the stories of, uh, of these other people who were living this, 
more meaningful, more deliberate life with less stuff. Sure. It's pretty cool. So where can people watch it right now? Uh, you can go to minimalismfilm.com and you can find it there. Uh, Vimeo and iTunes, Amazon and uh, several other places as well. And what's the main blog? Your main site? Theminimalist.com. Theminimalist.com. Yeah. Gotcha. And you can get all your books there. You, there's also information there for the documentary, I'm assuming. Absolutely. And uh, your next tours and all those things. Yeah. Everything sure. you guys are doing. A um, couple final questions for you. What are you most proud of that most people don't know about? I'm proud of my short-term actions align with my long-term values. And that wasn't always the case for me. I was always living for someday. I'll get to that someday in some non-existent hypothetical future. I'll do this passion, passion project. I'll focus on my health. I'll focus on my relationships. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give to charity someday. But of course, someday is, is never, uh, never comes. And so, you know, I, I turned someday and, and to today and, and I'm, I'm much more deliberate with the decisions I make today because I realize it impacts not just myself and others, but it impacts the future self and others as well. Mm. That's cool, man. Yeah. If you had it, do you have any tattoos? No. If you had to get a tattoo on your forehead in reverse <laughs> that only you could see in a mirror. Yeah. And you're looking at yourself right here. What would that be? Mm. With a word or a symbol or something. Just a minus sign. A minus sign. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what are you most grateful for in your life recently? My partner, Becca. She's amazing. I mean, I, I, I am truly in love and, uh, man, isn't that what it's all about? Absolutely, man. Yeah. How long have you guys been together? About a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, she has a three-year-old, so I've become a, a parent in the last uh, in the last couple of years, and that has been uh, uh, the biggest challenge of my life, probably. Yeah, turning into a parent without yeah, yeah. learn you know learning that you know it wasn't something I anticipated, but uh, it's been well worth it. That's cool, man. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, this is a question I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. It's called the three truths. Okay. So if this was your last day many, many years from now and you've achieved everything you wanted to, you lived the minimalist lifestyle, you have the relationships you want uh, and you got to write down three things you know to be true about everything you've learned that you would pass on to the world. Hmm. And this would be all that they would be able to remember you by are these three truths. Yeah. What would you say are yours? Number one, let it go. It's just stuff. Number two, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. And number three, love people and use things because the opposite never works. Mm. That might be one of the best three truths I've heard in a long time. So those are good. Thanks, man. Thanks, Appreciate those. Yeah. Um, before I ask the final question, I want to make sure where can we connect with you on social media, even though you're never on there. <laughs> no, we're on there occasionally. <laughs> I think I've, I actually that's the best place to interact with us. Uh, although we still get snail mail, so if you ever want to like write us, we generally don't do email, but you can you can uh, you know send us a a nice postcard don't or do something. Email. You email me. Yeah, yeah. We know we we, we just <laughs> we, we don't have a private e or we, we have a private email addresses, gotcha, but but gotcha. yeah, like I just found that that barrier of entry, and so I get far more meaningful things Absolutely. from people now, and these 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 you know, beautiful packages and handwritten letters and uh, in the mail than uh, than via email. That's a good idea. Yeah, but if you want to find us on social media, it's pretty simple. At the minimalists on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Very cool. We'll have that all linked up. 
Uh, before I ask the final question, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for transforming your life and teaching all of us how to do the same. I mean, to see that you go from such a challenging 20s where you thought you were on the right track and then became awakened to what actually was and wasn't serving you and committing to make a shift, even though it was really challenging, hard, and you constantly do challenges for yourself. It's really admirable to see that you've transformed your health, your relationships, your lifestyle, and the impact it's made in your life and the impact you're able to make on other people's lives. And I think that's what, for me, is meaningful is when we can set up our life so that it impacts others positively as opposed to negatively. So I want to acknowledge you for all that you do, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'd like to say the same for you, man. You, you. You're doing great work here. Thank, Thank you. you. Of course. Yeah. Final question is, what's your definition of greatness? So I just spent uh, the last few days at a Rob Bell event. So we have a mutual yes. friend, Rob Love Bell. Him. And um, he he said something interesting while I was there. It was one of the, the big takeaways. I remember writing this down. He said, greatness isn't self-conscious. And I just, there was something that I loved about that, that, that when you are, when you're doing something that is great, when you feel the best, the most excited, the most engaged, the most focused, you're not self-conscious about it. Mm. When I'm in a flow state, generally it's, it's when I'm, when I'm writing, when I feel like something is truly great, it doesn't matter what other people think about it. doesn't even really matter what I think about it. It's just, I feel that it's great. And so maybe, maybe it's just that greatness isn't self-conscious. There you go. Josh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you. Do you feel cleansed, my friends? Do you feel like you've made it? Did anyone let go of anything, possessions, while you were listening to this episode? Or did you think of some items that you could let go? Now, I have a challenge for you. My challenge for you is to start letting go. Start thinking of a few things, whether it's one thing a day. What's one thing I can get rid of that isn't adding value, that is holding me back, or just isn't adding value, that's just clutter? Think about it. Is there something you can let go of right now? Go let go of one thing right now and tweet to me at Lewis Howes and let me know what you thought. Also, connect with Joshua. All of his social media handles are at lewishouse.com slash 407. Make sure to check out The Minimalist's blog. He's got a great blog over there if you want to learn more about all of his information on how he does everything. And again, share this with your friends. Post it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Find me there and add me. If you're not following me on Facebook, Twitter, especially on Instagram because I spend a lot of time on there, Make sure to come hang out with me because I want to connect with you and hear about what you're up to. So come say hi. It's at Lewis Howes everywhere online. And if you are not a subscriber yet, you got to make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's right. YouTube slash Lewis Howes. We are blowing it up there. We're almost at 100,000 subscribers, which pretty much started this year. And that's all because of you. We've been putting out great content, but you've been watching it and you've been sharing it. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm telling you guys, this is a powerful resource, a powerful site. I recommend it because it's something I've used before is crowdsourcing custom design to really elevate your brand. I cannot emphasize the power of your brand enough. So make sure to go to designcrowd.com slash greatness and get your design on now. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this one. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.
At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and not a yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.